are able to uh, to come to assemble again to worship God, to be um, in the midst of each other physically, uh, in the presence of one another physically, as well as uh, via online. And we praise God for your uh, participation, for your gift of love, for your compassion, and uh, for your mercy that you've demonstrated, and your zeal for the Lord and your love for God. We're thankful uh, that you are here today. Let's go together to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy and divine name and thank you so very much for all that you've done and for all that you do, for your kindness and compassion and for your mercy and your care and for your love. Lord God, we are so thankful for Jesus, your great son who died on that cruel cross of Calvary that we might live. We're so thankful, Lord God, for this day, for this opportunity to assemble together again physically to worship you. We're thankful, Lord God, for technology that we have, that uh, we're becoming more and more accustomed to this new norm, this opportunity that we have to worship you regardless of what is going on. But Lord God, one day we'll all be together again, and we thank you for that. We ask that you will continue to prick our hearts, keep us strengthened by your grace, your mercy, your care, and your love. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Revelation chapter 13. Tonight, uh, this morning rather, astonishing proclamations. Chapter 13 took us through this frightening journey uh, in, in God as we're reading about the, the sea beast and the earth beast that came around and they were wreaking havoc on the Lord's church and folks had given in and were giving up. And there was this question that was asked and the question is found in verse 14. And the question is this, verse 4 rather, excuse me. And they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? You talk about being deceived because even God's people were asking that question, who could beat Rome? I mean, look at Rome. Rome was everything. Who? Who can beat Rome? Chapter 14 gives us the answer to that question. Tune in for just a moment and listen to these astonishing proclamations that we'll find in chapter 14 that announce things that are about to happen and things that have already happened. The first proclamation, chapter 14, verses 6 and verse 7. God is victorious. The text says, And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. There's good news for everyone. Chapter 15 and 16 will tell us that story. The eternal gospel brings salvation. The next astonishing proclamation, verse 8. And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, 
Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passions of her immorality. Satan loses again. Chapter 17 and 18 are going to tell us that story. The next one, in verse 9, the Bible says, And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he will also he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of, anger, of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Emperor worshipers are judged. Don't get the mark. Don't get the mark. And then the final one, all those dead saints, they're happy. I mean, they're rejoicing. And that's in verse 13. The Bible says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Everything that Satan has tried has failed. Everything. Some gave in. Some stood strong. Let's look at the text. You look out over the, over the horizon, over the ocean, over the sea, and up comes in chapter 13 this beast, the sea beast. Another comes, the earth beast. And while that's happening, chapter 14 in verse 1, And I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And so you're looking out, and, and you're terrified, because at the sea, there's this beast, two of them. But when you look at the mountaintops, you see Jesus. And he's not alone. Jesus has brought with him those who have been sealed or protected, if you will, this great and vast army, this amazing army of God. And don't forget about the innumerable angels. But he sees on the mountaintops Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, who lives, and the 144,000 with him reigning victoriously. And so you say, we don't have to worry about the beast coming out of the sea because of Jesus. Now here's what happens. What happens is, sometimes as Christians, we close our eyes to reality, the reality of God and the truth. Our faith falters just a bit, and we fail just a bit. And we, we become fixated on our problems, and we forget about Jesus. We become so fixated on, like right now, we're fixated on COVID. And we're forgetting about Jesus. Jesus is not on the mountaintops, but he's in the throne of heaven. Right now, sitting with the Father, looking down, preparing, and taking care of each and every one of us. In verse 3 it says, And they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Now here's what I'm reminded of. I want to go back to 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm reminded of this. In times of struggle and in, in times of trial, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we 
we place our minds on the earth, we become fixated about or on our problems, we miss the message of God. We miss it. Right? And we become so focused on our problems, we start saying, can God win? Even right now, you know, we are, we're, we're in this situation and when are we going to be able to come back to worship? And here's what's sad, brethren. Some folks won't come back. That's sad. Some folks have given in. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Don't receive that mark, figuratively speaking. Don't let that be you. Open your eyes and see that Jesus is in complete and total control. Look to the mountains, brethren. Look to the mountains. Listen, this is what happened. The Arameans were waging war against so many people. They wanted to bring battle to Israel, but they couldn't because the message of God kept coming to Elisha, telling him the plans that the king of Aram had against Israel. And listen to what happened. Second Kings uh, chapter um, chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Listen to what was happening. The Bible says, And one of his servants said, Know my Lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. And he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open the eyes that he might see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Sometimes you just got to look to the mountains. You see, right? And so as we're looking at this, this, this time that we're in, we're looking at the trouble and the trials. If you look into the book of Revelation, God is saying, don't worry, we win. We reign victoriously because of the greatness of our God. The 144,000 who began, they were there at the beginning of this trial. At the beginning of the persecution of Rome are now victorious. They were there in the beginning and they're there at the end. That's the beauty of the text, you see. You know, we used to say, you know, don't speak as if you're taking your gloves off. You know, boxers would say that. Because you still got to put them on and go through the match. Right? Right? And so here it is. Here these folks are speaking because they've taken their gloves off. Because they reign victorious with Jesus Christ. They are gathered together on Mount Zion. Turn to Hebrews, please. Chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Why are they on Mount Zion? Because it is the place where the Messiah gathers the redeemed and reigns. In verse 22. 
But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And so, in the text of Revelation, the 144,000 stand for the totality of the saved. It stands for all of the people of God, the Jew and the Gentile, the male, the female, the slave and the free. It is completeness. All of the great, great, great people of God who held fast and stood strong and kept their faith and their confidence in Jesus. Look at verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who was speaking, for those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he is promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we are members and a part of this kingdom, this church that cannot be shaken. How's your faith? How's your faith today? You say, but preacher, I, I've been shaken. I, I, I found myself in, in, in trial and I found myself in turmoil within. And I say, just keep looking to Jesus. Just keep looking to Jesus. In chapter 14, there's this new song. And it's the, it's the manifestation of the goodness of God. In verse 6 it says, and, and I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and the springs of water. When I look at that text, you know, I'm thankful to God that He has this amazing goodness about Him. That's just who God is, right? But you look at Rome, and and, and I don't know about you, but but reading through and and, and understanding the history, you kind of, I don't know, I kind of felt like Jonah a little bit. Like, God, you want to save them too? I mean, God is still preaching to the Romans, trying to save them. God is good. God is absolutely amazing. And here comes this astonishing proclamation that God wants us to emphatically know. And it's this, verse 8. Another angel, a second one, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her 
immorality. And I think about that and I listen and I go, yes, Babylon has fallen. Thank God for that. But why is God still preaching to Rome? Because God is not like us. Because God loves everybody. And He wants them saved. Right? Isn't God amazing? Isn't God, that's why the world is still going, brethren. There's somebody left. There's someone out there that still wants to come to Jesus. And maybe they're online with us today. Maybe they're here in our midst today. There's somebody left. And that's why it still remains. When someone says, why does God allow the earth to continue on with all the weakness? Because there's someone left that needs to be saved. That wants to be saved. And God is emphasizing the fall of Rome. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. There the Bible says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, and she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And God says she will be destroyed. In fact, in chapter 18, the text is making it clear that she has already been destroyed. Rome and all of her nations, the client kingships that were with her, God emphasizes to us that she will be no more. And he's using Babylon because when you look back at Babylon in, in, in this time, uh, this time period here, ba- Babylon is, is, is no more. I mean, Babylon is, is nothing. I mean, no one fears Babylon. It's the same example of us today thinking of Rome. No one fears Rome. Right? It's the same thing that happened to Rome in their day. So God is giving us this, this Message saying, do not receive the mark. Do not receive worship of emperors. Don't do that. That's part of the mark, the sea beast, chapter 13. To worship Nero. Don't you worship Domitian. Don't you worship Vespasian. Do not worship the emperors. Worship God and God alone. Don't follow Satan. And you know what Satan wants today? He wants us not to worship any longer. Right? Satan doesn't want us to come back. Satan, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad those are online. I'm thankful to God that you're on there. But Satan doesn't want us to come back. Right? He doesn't want it. What Satan wants to do is to shake an unshakable kingdom. But in that kingdom... You and I have to make the decision to follow God, right? Look at chapter 14 and verse 10. We're going to go back to verse 9. And another angel, a third one, following them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, 
He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name, no more mercy. You know, I, when I think about uh, this this world that we're living in, brethren, there is nothing on this earth that's worth your soul. Nothing, and I, and I know we've been deceived sometimes by Satan to think that there are certain things that are that are worth us uh, not worshiping God and not praying to God and not reading our Bibles and not not staying true to God. I know there are things Satan is really tricky at what he does. He he tricked he deceived the folks in in eighty A D and in, in thirty three A D the church. He deceived Israel, Judah. He deceives the world. And what we're saying, what the Bible is saying, is don't give in. There's nothing worth you losing your soul. And God says that his wrath has come upon those who worship the beast. Those who give up. Those who give in. Those who forsake God. He says they're going to burn forever and ever. Yes, there is a hell. And Satan wants us all to go there. And the text is saying do not give in. Look to the mountaintops. We reign victoriously. There is nothing worth you losing your soul. So the contrast is found in verse 12 and verse 13. It says, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandment of God in their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. See, many have thought when you read that verse, it means, oh, we're just going to rest in heaven. No. There's a contrast. The wicked we just read about, they have no rest because they're in torment. But the righteous, they receive rest for there is no more torment. There's a contrast in the scriptures. And God is saying and asking us, which one do you prefer? And we get to make that choice. Our destiny is truly in our hands. And so now this battle against Rome is not just a battle, if you will, amongst men as they struggle. But rather this is a battle that God is going to bring himself. That God will bring Rome down. Who can wage war against Rome? Only God. Only God. And so there's this, this scene of this, this sickle that, that comes through and it, it's, it's a surety, if you will, that there's absolutely no way that when this angel swings this sickle, that anybody's gonna survive that has the mark of the beast. The harvesting of the earth has begun. In verse 14, and I looked and behold a white cloud and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out 
of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap. Because the hour to reap has come. Because the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth. And the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven. And he also had a sharp sickle. Not my God. My God will never send anyone to hell. You might want to read your Bible again. This is serious. This isn't like a game. Like, you know, you watch television. We're so used to watching television and, you know, this happens and that. And then all the things. This isn't, this isn't a game. This is not pretend. This isn't Xbox. This is real. Souls are being lost every single day. And God is going to bring this amazing, wrathful punishment upon Rome. And He's going to reap. And it's the same thing today. And I want you to recognize that, that this, this particular angel, another one comes from the altar. Do you remember do you remember the altar? It's important that we not forget. You ought to read this over and over and over again so you just don't forget. Another one comes from under the altar. In chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, uh, the Bible says, And when, the, when he broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long? O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth. These people have been martyred. uh, They've been executed mercilessly. And God is going to have his day and bring vindication. And they said, how long before you go back, God, and take care of those people who have mercilessly murdered us? Verse 11, and there was given to each one of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed also. God says, you just hold on. It is not time yet because there's still some people that need to be saved. Look at verse 18, the wine press. And another angel came, excuse me, and another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying, put in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle to the earth, and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth, and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. So what it's saying is, that when he swung that sickle, that there was blood piled up 
four to five feet high and 200 miles long from the massacre back on Rome that Rome had brought against God's people. Now, I know this is just a figure, but did you get the message? (laughs) Right? It's just a figure, but God wants you to get the message that not only is Satan losing, but Satan is destroyed. And so, and so are his people. Do not follow the beast. We're closing in Joel chapter 3. Do not follow evil. Do not lose your soul. Do not give up your relationship with God. Do not do that. Stay with the Lord. Stay faithful. Stay true to God. Do not give up, brethren. Do not give in. Do not. Do not give Satan your soul. The wine press is not a new... None of this is new. This is... You go back into the old text and you'll see it in the old Bible. That God is showing and demonstrating the destruction of nations, the destruction of Satan, time and time and time again. He's showing us that there's no way that you lose if you stick with the Lord. Joel 3, verse 11. You get to decide your own fate, brethren. Listen to what it says. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, thy mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come, tread. For the wine press is full. The vats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near the valley of decision. Here's your decision. Every time there's wickedness and evil, and it's all around us today in America and all over the world, know that God will have his vindication. You get to decide. We get to decide. I get to decide. Whether I'm going to stand opposed to God and evil and hatred and wickedness, or whether I'm going to stand with God in love and compassion, faithfulness, and mercy. Now you get to decide. This is the valley of decision. And today, you can look out to the sea. And you can follow Rome if you want to. You can follow the sea beast if you like. It is your choice. If you want to follow the way of evil, you can do that, church. It is your choice. Or you can follow God. And reign victoriously with Jesus. That is your choice. The decision is yours. May God bless you and keep you and comfort you and protect you in your decision to follow Him in righteousness. If we can help you in any way today, if you would like to surrender to God in the waters of baptism, we would like to extend that opportunity to you. You've heard his word, to believe in his word, to believe in God, to believe that Jesus is he. To have repentance in your heart, godly sorrow, to turn your life around.
to make the confession, I believe that Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God, to be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. And then stay true and faithful. But if you have struggled in your faith and you need help, if there's something that we can do for you, you can make that known today. We're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing a closing song, and the invitation is yours. Contact us. You see our information on the board if we can assist you in any way. God bless each and every one of you.